Real Estate Coaching Radio, starring award-winning real estate coaches and number one international best-selling authors, Tim and Julie Harris. Real Estate Coaching Radio is the nation's number one daily radio show for realtors who demand authentic, real-time coaching. Get ready for fluff-free, unfiltered, full-strength honesty about what's truly working to get you into action, helping others, and making money now in today's real estate market. Now to our hosts, Tim and Julie Harris. Welcome back. First of all, thank you for all the emails I got. For those of you who want to be on the uh, call we're doing about choosing your broker, or if you're a broker, uh, what we see as being the perfect brokerage model to consider. So we're going to be doing that. I'm going to be um, setting the rest of that up. So this is my final announcement. And uh, if you're interested in attending that, it's not going to cost you anything. Julie and I are going to do it live. We're going to do it on a different platform so you can ask questions, you can participate and uh, just email me, tim at timandjulieharris.com. Second of all, um, I know there was a backup for uh, free coaching calls with our new member coaches. If you're interested in having a free coaching call, we've caught back up. Just go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com, freecoachingcallsforagents.com. Julie, welcome to today's podcast. Thank you. It is our continuation of our discussion of scarcity and abundance and what is the specific actionable tactical plan to make sure that you have an abundance mindset and have a fantastic year this year. Uh, I've been on lots of coaching calls lately, just as you have had. And, you know, in spite of a lot of reporting on, you know, home sales adjusting and, you know, numbers being a little bit funky at the end of last year, I find most of our coaching clients seem to be having a very rock solid start to the year, though they're having to be much more careful on pricing and advising their sellers on timing and days on the market and just, kind of adjusting expectations. Would you agree with that from your calls? Yeah, definitely. I actually want to talk a little bit about that. Julie, I sent you a link to an article I've got it in front that of you. I wanted. Okay, good. That CNBC article? The Diana Olick article, I think, right? Yeah, yeah. Could you go and just yep. pull out the relevant facts because I want to share it sure. with um, in case they haven't read that. So here's what I'm seeing, guys. It, we we uh, hoped to educate you guys a couple months ago on what we call the phases of the real estate reset. We did a series of uh, five podcasts. Those podcasts can be found if you go to timandjulieharris.com, the search bar or the search button is in the upper right-hand section. Just put in the word reset and you'll find all those past podcasts. Make sure you listen to all those. And also, when you listen on our website, you're also going to be able to just cut and paste the notes that we wrote. We did that intentionally to help all of you explaining the real estate reset to your customers. So I'll give you guys an example today. I'm on a uh, coaching call, as I am every Wednesday, with people in different areas of the country. And all these guys are high-end agents. Um, you know, one of them in particular is really high-end. And so I'm talking to them, and the really high-end guy, he's selling in a market where they've been in the phase two market, and now they're actually entering phase three. You don't know what I'm talking about. You need to listen to those podcasts. But the moral of the story is, in his market, he told me something today. I had to have him tell it to me twice, that the buyers, listen to what I'm saying, listeners, is it because this happened back in 07 and 08 and 09. And if you didn't sell real estate back then, this is what in some markets you're going to be experiencing, not every. So he told me that the buyers, not every buyer, but most of his buyers, when they're looking for a property, when they you know, hone in on one that they're interested in buying, they will have him tell them what he, they paid for the house or what similar properties sold for three to five years ago, and they won't offer more than what the seller either paid for it three five years ago um, or they'll offer less. 
So what's happened is the buyers in his particular market have realized that properties in that you know, area have depreciated or have lost value to the point where they're worth about what they were, you know, let's say five years ago. I want you to think about that for a second. That means that the sellers are constantly dealing with, if not priced correctly out of the gates, in other words, if not priced where the house would have sold five years ago, they're not going to sell. And if they do sell, it's going to be after some pretty aggressive negotiations. That's a tough market. And that's a tough market because you have to know how to work with your buyers, ex you know, set expectations for them. You have to know how to work with your sellers, all those types of things. And a lot of you guys have experienced that before. And maybe it doesn't get that extreme in your market, or maybe only parts of your market get that extreme. But that is what's happening in the country. Now, the juxtaposition of it is another agent I have who sells in his area high-end real estate, not compared to the first guy I told you about. Well, he's experiencing a great market. It feels still like a hot seller's market. Things are selling like hotcakes. And I told him he's got to get in the MLS. And I need him to focus on uh, days in the market. Is he didn't know. Is extending or is, the days in the market is the, obviously the bellwether as to whether or not the market is actually increasing, um, you know, as far as the velocity, sales velocity, or decreasing. And then the other thing that would come after that is an increase in price reductions. Probably a little early in the year to really use the price reductions thing as much of a, a, a bench test for our market velocity. And then there was this article that came out on CNBC yesterday. Julie? Yes. So to uh, just jump right into this, it says, this is from CNBC, and 6.4% monthly move okay, uh, was unusually large. This is based on some December reporting. The tally from the National Association of Realtors generally moves in the very low single digits month to month, so 6.4 is larger than normal. And in fact, the shift was one of the largest that did not involve some sort of change in government policy like the home buyer tax credit. The latest decline is harder to explain. Perhaps it is the decline in consumer confidence that's been occurring in the latter half of 2018, said Lawrence Yoon, chief economist for the Realtors. The latest numbers do not reflect the lower current mortgage rates compared to the November figures, so it's really harder to explain. The supply of homes for sale also rose just more than 3% compared with a year ago. Low supply had been holding sales back last spring despite strong demand, so it would make sense that more supply would boost sales unless that's a, a sign that demand may be weakening. So um, I can go on if you'd like, but that's the basic Well, the last, part, the last part of it I thought was really important. I think it's the second to last paragraph. So, guys, what happened was is there was an unpredicted – uh, unusually large decline in home sales. A lot of you guys felt that. And so that's what this article is about. And the last little bit, Julie, the, I think literally it's the last maybe a little section, maybe it's not even a paragraph. That's what I thought was really telling, kind of summarizes yep. the whole thing. Okay. Let me let me get into that. If anything, the drop may be due to the fact that home prices are actually falling in some areas, especially in the West. And in the rest of the nation, the gains, the gains are shrinking. That makes it easier to afford a home but less desirable if potential buyers are concerned that their new home's value will immediately depreciate. No one wants to catch a falling knife. The median home price of 259100 in 2018 was the highest on record. While mortgage rates did drop in December, the expectation is that they will move higher this year and that will hurt affordability further. Looking ahead to 2019, expect weaker existing home sales as the new year ushered in government shutdown and worsening economic uncertainty, said Cheryl Young, senior economist at Trulia. So, well, so interesting so to that combination to that, of things. Go ahead. To that last little bit about from the Trulia gal, maybe the government shut down, mm -hmm. but no economic uncertainty. The, in case you guys don't pay attention to it, there's a lot of really positive economic, global economic news that's coming that's out. That's not being reported and, on. 
and some of the big right. So a lot of this stuff is politicized, obviously, but moving, pushing the whole conversation forward. Um, some of the wealthiest sort of money managers in the world are all kind of predicting that there is inevitably going to be a slowdown in the economy, but it doesn't appear based on current the way that everything's operating. It's going to be anytime soon. So a housing recession, yes, an overall recession, no, and that's really wonderful news for all of us because it means that the housing market won't take the same crash that it did last time. But I want you to really listen to what Julie just read because it's important. Remember, she just read a little bit where it said the buyers are seeing prices fall, but the price is falling, ironically enough, are actually causing the buyers to want to hold ground and not buy. Why? Because they think the prices will continue to fall. That, my friends, is a phase two market. And that's how mm -hmm. the prices in the market continues to sort of get away from you if you're not paying attention. You need to know this. You need to tell your sellers this. You need to tell your buyers this. And I'll tell you how you can bounce this off with the buyers. And a little bit is just pure conjecture, but Ultimately, in a buyer's situation, if they can afford the house now with the interest rates like they are, even if the house were to drop an additional – because maybe mo you know, most people are payment sensitive. Even if the value of the property were to decline in the short run, let's call the short run two or three years, right? So they buy the house, and then on paper it's worth, le worth less than they paid, but at the same time interest rates go up. The interest rate increase could actually make the payment on the house, even if the house price were lower, more. So these are all sort of mathematical equations that your mortgage person needs to be, you know, essentially um, able to explain to your potential buyers. Other than that, as we've been warning you, as we've been absolutely warning you, buyers are the first ones that basically hit the brakes in a slowdown because they're the ones that, you know, in their minds are going to have the most to lose and they have the most to gain if they wait. And that's exactly what this article just said. It's exactly what happens in a phase two market. And that's when the whole velocity of home sales really slows down and you see prices drop even further. That's a phase two becoming a phase three market. This is the reason why you must know what's going on in your market. You absolutely positively have to know this. Julie and I are um, going up to uh, New York City at the beginning of next month, speaking to arguably some of the best agents in the world at Douglas Elliman. And their market, Julie and I have really been studying it, is uh, just crazy. It's not even – it's street by street, but not even street by street. It's side of the street by side of the street where you see Holding different types of activity. Building by building, right, exactly. I mean, you have all the – New York City, is Manhattan in particular, is not just, you know, there's this side of town and that side of town. It actually – you'll see the, the behaviors of buildings that are side by side acting differently, just depending on – just all kinds of crazy things. So in a market like this, you have – or that, you have to be so much more of an expert than many of you are taking the time to be. And the easiest way to learn this stuff is, A, know what you have to know. That's a big – you know, if you just open the MLS and you start reading statistics, you're going to be like, oh, my God, this is so much information. But you've got to know what you have to know. Know the things that we've been talking about. Know what you have to know by listening to those uh, podcasts we did on the Real Estate Reset. And then when you are stuck in an elevator or in line at Starbucks or, you know, whatever, waiting for your car to be pulled out of the snowy ditch, when you're in whatever situation you're in and you're talking with somebody and they ask you a question, you're not going to have to t fancy two-step it. You're actually going to have an intelligent answer because here's what happens in a market like this where there's uncertainty. Listen to what I'm saying to you, uh, podcast listeners. This is incredibly important. When there's uncertainty in the marketplace, the, uh, the, eight, the sellers will start looking for agents who have skill set. That's what they're going to look for. In a past seller's market, 
you would take business on the buyer and seller side if you had the relationship primarily. Many of you in a seller's market could do quite well just having relationships, centers of influence and past clients. And that's a great spoke to all of you have on your wheel. We're not suggesting you don't do that. Absolutely do it. But what happens when the market starts to shift, you will, let's say hypothetically, still get called out to possibly list the house. But the seller is also going to call out the people that they, are, they see as being a true expert. You might just get it because of your social connection because you've you know, been dropping Chotskys off their house and you know, you'll get called out. But when you go out there, if you don't have skill set to back up the opportunity, you're not going to get the listing. And that's what happened, and that's what always happens in a changing market like this. That's the reason that Julie and I say a market like this and the market we're entering into is a skills-based market, and the old one was primarily a relationships-based market. You could even go as far as to say the old market really, if you think about it, working with buyers, the skill set you had to have was very limited. You didn't have to know about – you had to know about 10% of the stuff you have to know in a market like this. Working with sellers, some of you guys maybe already should be learning about short sales. I, you know what? That reminds me. I, had a, I have to tell this guy. I have a coaching client out on uh, the West Coast, and he had a house that he had listed. The seller fired him after he brought in an offer for like $500,000 less than he had it listed for. The house shows up today or i'm sorry yesterday in the pre-foreclosure list and the house itself is very sellable for the right price but i bet you uh coaching client and my fault for not thinking of it yesterday i gotta do it so as i'm off this podcast he should have told that guy to do a short sale in that situation there would have been no foreclosure in that situation the house would be in contract right now and my coaching client as the listing agent would be on his way to a closing with a commission check you know, assuming all the short sale stuff worked its way through, which it will in that price range because there will be a colossal loss if it goes to foreclosure. So these are the types of things you have to know, not just to, to survive, but to thrive in this market. And then what happens is you start finding all kinds of other amazing opportunities that you didn't even know existed. Lenders will start seeking you out. You'll start getting calls from people say, you know, I've got this, I've heard you're really, you know, you're, you're somebody that's getting houses sold in this market where other people aren't, and then all of a sudden you're selling expensive stuff that's maybe so far beyond what you ever thought you would ever get a shot at because you're the agent that developed the skill set. So if you guys are looking for your unfair advantage, and that's what all of us need in a market like this, if you're looking for your unfair advantage, I promise you it comes from basically knowing basically being a, a market master. That's what Premier Coaching teaches you, by the way. But you still have to do the work. When you have the confidence of have, being able to have fluid conversations about people or with people about solving their problems, because that's really what a lot of these guys are going to be dealing with, when you have the fluidity of, of the, uh, being able to talk to everyone, not just a certain type of customer, not just the customer, like if your buyer's uh, skill set is limited to buy the house or somebody else will buy it, trying to scare out of scare, sell out of scarcity, that's not going to work in a market like this because the buyers are going to say, no, I don't think so. Prices are falling. I'm going to wait. You're screwed. What's your, what's your fallback plan? You don't have one. You guys understand? Are you seeing what we're talking about? And all of you, most of you, have wasted so much of your time in the past 10 years worrying about branding and lead generation, thinking that was the most important thing in your business. Lead generation, obviously, is the most important thing. But you can generate the lead, but if you don't have the skill set to convert the lead, get the lead listed, get the lead sold, what the hell difference does it make if you convert the lead? Or if you generate the lead, rather? doesn't matter, does it? Isn't that ironic? 
Why does that? Why does it, everyone want to focus on lead generation? Because you think masses of leads will overcome your shortcoming in your skill set. Think about it, guys. That's the truth. And why is it that you're resisting developing the skill set? Because it takes work. It takes doing what you don't want to do and you don't want to do it at the highest level. It takes discipline. It takes going back to school. It takes taking your career seriously. So if your year already is not going like you hope it would and you're wondering why, I just told you. That's the reason why. It's not because you need more damn leads. It's because you need to know how to work the leads that you get. You need to know how to ask the questions. You need to know how to really compartmentalize and say, okay, I get an idea how I'm going to help this one. Maybe I can't help this one. Maybe this one's unhelpable. Maybe this one's presenting themselves as being motivated, but because I knew a couple other questions to ask, I realized this person is not somebody I want to work with because they have these other you know, extenuating circumstances that I'm not going to be able to work around, and I only have so much productive time in the day. I'm not going to waste my time with that. You guys get the point? This is the skill set part that you must have. If you skip this, you will always regret it. Julie, before you get to your next point, um, I want you to tell them a story about – you're hiring a famous pianist to teach you how to play piano after you already know how to play piano, and he rooted out all your hacks. I want you to tell that story because well, it's really important. Let's be clear. After I thought I knew how to play piano, <laughs> which he made very clear, and I do, I like this story because there's a lot of parallels to, you know, in, improving your skill set on anything, <clears throat> and it does relate back to real estate. So, you know, um, I'd taken piano lessons for, I don't know. It had to be 15 or 20 years. It was never my main instrument. I always played flute and piccolo and orchestra. But, I, you know, I went to competitions. I thought I was pretty decent. You so won. A few years. I did back, you know, high school yeah. stuff. And, you know, I wasn't a total hack. But, um, you know, I I was not like, you know, Juilliard competitive. But I I had some stuff going on. And so I took a break from it for a while, and then I went back to it when I was probably 30-something. And this was when we were living in Las Vegas, so I was looking for a piano teacher, and I found, um, you know, what I thought was just a normal piano teacher. turns out that he went to Juilliard, for real, graduated from there, and has his own Cirque du Soleil show, which is like a performing pianist, very dramatic, really just fantastic. Well, all right, that's fine. First couple of lessons, you know, it didn't take long for him to detect that I really didn't have my scales worked out that well, which is the foundation for pretty much anything you ever do in music. Um, hadn't had much chord training. I, I didn't realize, having taken piano lessons from people who just kind of played piano on the side like I did, that they probably didn't even know the workarounds and, and different things that I had worked out to be able to play anything. It what It was like... Uh, piecing together skill instead of learning something on purpose. I realized that I had been a piano dabbler, and those were the hardest piano lessons I've ever had and the hardest I've ever had to practice. And right now I'm not taking lessons from him because I don't have the time to give the accountability and because it doesn't really relate to anything else I'm doing. It's a hobby for me. You can't get away with that in real estate. Why do I tell you this story? There are lots of things in life. I, I would say, you know, Orange Theory is a good example of this, too. I used to think I knew how to work out until we had real coaches that were making us do stuff that we'd never done before at a high level and correcting us. Okay, so there's a huge difference between piecing it together and doing things like, you know, I, I'm very fond of a, there's a guy that uh, actually sells pianos, and he does a little online video about different piano pieces. And he's very palatable to me and easy to understand and digest and i like you're, watching your videos 
but it's not you're, the you're same. In your, <laughs> you're you're, you're <laughs> in your music black hole. <laughs> you're, my my point you're, is, you're, there's a difference between yeah. doing it on purpose in a very well, it, organized, proven method versus trying to throw it together by sampling things online. What the, what the like piano teacher, script. what was his name? What was the piano teacher, Raja. what was his name? Raja. Raja. Yeah, so Raja would basically, he wouldn't let, he would, he would, uh, they were doing no, their, like he him. was, he was doing his uh, training with Julie using Skype. So he was watching her fingers on the keyboard and he would stop. I'd listen sometimes and I, he would stop and he would make her fix a hack that she didn't even know that she'd, uh, she'd created. So she, her past uh, piano teacher obviously didn't give a rat's ass as to whether or not she hacked together. Or maybe didn't her, even know. Uh, right. You know? Maybe she was hacking it together too. And then when Raja yeah. showed her all the little hacks and shortcuts that she either done it, you know, created herself, or basically no one stopped her from creating. Uh, mm-hmm. When she started doing it correctly, it was painful at first, but then when she started uh, playing, it sounded so much better and was so much more, you know, really easy. And then all these so sudden, all these other neural, yeah, all these other neural pathways started to be created. And she told me about it, like, oh, now this explains why I always struggle with this and always uh-huh. struggle with that. Well, it was fascinating for me because as you get older, it's harder and harder to convince yourself to learn something new. And Julie was challenging herself to really relearn something that she thought she knew, and she didn't. And that's where I'm challenging all of you guys right now, frankly. That's, the, that's what this market is. You need to see this as an opportunity to hit the hard reset and relearn all the things that you know. Because what's going to happen is a lot of you are coasting in the new year, and you're thinking that everything that you did in the past is going to work. I hope and pray, truthfully, for all of you that that's the case, but it's not. Most of the things that you guys have done in the past, expect, you know, that maybe have worked consistently for the past two or three years, they're not going to work at all or at the same level this year. That's the nature of a market like this. So if you think you're going to coast in this year, and all of a sudden most of you don't have any specific um, proactive plan to go after business, Facebooking and Instagramming and postcarding and hoping and praying is not proactive going after business. So most of you are just relying on that. That's the truth. And by most of you, I know it's probably 99% of you. And those of you who are thinking about getting into real estate or are thinking about you know, reigniting your real estate careers, let's say, you don't know any better than doing those passive things because that's what everybody else does. Please listen to your coach, if we are your coach, or your future coach, if you are going to become a coaching client, and listen to what I'm saying. Those things have diminishing returns in a dramatic and painful way in a changing market like this because the sellers and the buyers' behavior changes. Those types of things, those passive things, only work in a certain type of market, only work at a high level in a certain type of market. As soon as the market – look, I don't care how many pumpkin pies and tchotchkes and forget-me-not seeds and all this other crap you've dropped off at somebody's house. If they're worried that the house won't sell versus maybe two, three years ago where they knew any idiot could sell the house, they just throw some random price on it, and they put it in the MLS. Even if the pictures are crooked and the description is terrible, they are confident that the house will sell itself. I'm being overly dramatic and hopefully not overly offensive, but I'm trying to make a point. In a market like this, where neighbors are talking, where people are worried, where there's Diana Olick writing stories like that, where there's all these other things going on, the sellers are going, uh-oh, you know, I really like you know Betty. She's a sweetheart. Man, she's going she to whip up a killer pumpkin pie. But she's 
gives us a lot of pies, maybe too many, but that's a side. We love Betty. So, look, we have to put the house for sale. Let's call Betty out. But I'm not really too sure beyond being a great pie maker that she's that efficient at getting houses sold, but let's give her a shot. So we're going to call Betty out, and we're going to call this other person who we don't even know, but we see their, sign, we see their sold sign, or this other person who called us and essentially was telling us that they had sold other properties in the area, but obviously had, their, had it together, they were being proactive and sent us over a killer pre-listing pack. Let's call all three of these people out, and of course we're going to call Betty out, and then Betty doesn't get the listing. Because Betty's going to roll in there thinking that it was, you know, 2000 and, you know, not anymore, like 2016 or even 2009, 2010. The really the seller's market started in 2011, so she's going to be acting the same way she did before. She's not going to have really an organized listing presentation. She's not going to be prepared to answer questions about the market changes. The sellers are going to be expecting her to talk about, you know all the things that they know to be true because they've been paying attention to what's happening in the market. She's not going to because she has just been riding high on doing her business, her specific non-aggressive, non-proactive way. She's never learned to have conversations that could result in sellers saying no or a seller having maybe not a conversation that would be a, something the seller wants to have. Maybe the seller, she doesn't know how to tell a seller bad news. She doesn't know, you guys get the point? This is why in a market like this, the agents who are generally the top producers at the end of a seller's market are not the top producers at the end of the corrective market going into the next seller's market because the agents, generally speaking, don't adapt. They die off. And if you guys are in the business for a long time, you go back and you think about the agents who were the absolute rock stars leading into 2007 and 2008. How many of those people come out the other side as rock stars? Like maybe five percent. And now, how many of the how many of the agents now who are rock stars will be rock stars over the next two or three, four years? Maybe the same percent. Why would it be any different? So these are the facts. You've got to see this market for what it is. It's a tremendous opportunity if you're willing to do the work. There's no easy button, guys. It just doesn't exist. The longer you look for it, the longer you're going to procrastinate being able to essentially experience the things in life that I'm confident that you want the abundance you want in your life, that only is going to happen from learning and accepting the fact that life is about doing what you don't, your work life, okay? It's about doing what you don't want to do when you don't want to do at the highest level. Julie, I think we pretty much summarized all the scarcity versus abundance points with what we said today, even without necessarily finishing them point by point. Any other closing thoughts? Well, I think in a transitioning market, other weird stuff happens. I had a call with a really great broker in Canada this morning, very competitive, has his skills, uses the pre-listing package. You know, the Sharpie close, formal listing presentation, really has it together, follows the seven-step listing process. Well, he was competing against a Betty type. In this case, it was a uh, man, uh, you know, male realtor. And, you know, the, the other guy knew that he, Bob, we'll call him Bob, uh, knew that he was competing against our uh, coaching client, John. Okay. So what does he do to try and compete against a skilled known agent like John? Well, guess what happens in a transitioning market? Other agents start doing weird stuff to try and get it away from the skilled agent. He overpriced, undercommissioned, and told the seller that they didn't need to correct any of their staging items. Okay. So basically he was the easy button. Well, John gets wind of this, and he's like, no, 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 we're not going to be doing that. I'm not going to let this really nice seller couple with a beautiful home 
fall into the grasp of somebody who's going to overprice, undercommission, and basically not do jack for them. He didn't even give them any staging advice. So John inserts himself back in there, has another conversation with them, and they said to him, you know, something just wasn't feeling right. I've, we've been thinking about what you had to say, and maybe we do need to make those changes. Okay, now here's the question. How many people would have just given up to that other agent versus ramping up their skills and making sure that that potential seller knew the difference. So you've got to watch yourself in a changing market, even if you are the skilled agent like John was, because other agents start to do weird things like, you know, severely cut their commission or other things to try and get it away from you. You've got to make sure you're the one who's following up. You're the one who's doing the better job. You're the one who's shining. Now, those marginal agents that start having acts of desperation like that don't last long because had that seller gone with him, it would have been an expired for sure. And that, wouldn't, that would have been doing a disservice to the seller. Those agents will wash out, but during a transitioning market, you've got to you know, really keep an eye on what you're doing. So that was just a story from the front lines. And here's when you have about, that mindset, yeah, go ahead. I've got to run to Here's Premier the thing about Premier Coaching, guys. Here's the thing about Premier Coaching. We've done most of the heavy lifting for you. So when Julie said, John, I know who she's talking about, a guy named John Walkinshaw. He's a great agent in uh, Canada. Uh, when she's talking about it, using the pre-listing pack, using a proven system, we created all that for him. He's, basically, he just personalized it. That was the extent of it. So we've already done all the heavy lifting for you. So when we say Premier Coaching is a complete real estate system, it truly is a complete real estate system. Your listing presentation is done for you. Hey, if you want to focus on you know, picking up some buyers here and there, great. There's a buyer presentation in there. We, you know, literally, it's completed. It's, do you even have, a, have you ever conceptualized having a presentation that you give to buyers with the outcome be, or the, you know, the uh, goal being them signing a buyer's agency contract? Most of you don't even have any idea that that's the way you should be doing business. On the listing side of things, we have a killer pre-listing pack. The pre-listing pack is designed simply to answer all the toughest questions that many of you live in fear of ever being asked by a potential seller to the point where you actually avoid listings because you don't know how to overcome these questions. You know, how long, what are you going to, why, why should I hire you over another agent? How long have you been selling houses? How many houses like mine have you sold? What's your marketing plan? What's your list to sell price ratio? What's your day? You know, all those really tough questions. That you, frankly, are many of you are, like I said, the, the things, the questions that are keeping you in, uh, living in fear of ever actually chasing listings, we've already answered all of them for you in the pre-listing pack. You get the pre-listing pack to the seller ahead of time, and after that, for the most part, when you go out to the house, you will find the seller grateful for you having answered all their toughest questions ahead of time, some of which they hadn't even thought of, and then you can just focus on our listing presentation, which generally speak, speaking takes about 20 minutes. And by the way, a good listing presentation, you're not really overcoming any objectives. The objectives should have all been overcome prior to going on the listing appointment through the pre-listing pack. Are you understanding what I'm saying? Do you see how we've already created this for you? You don't need to go and patchwork quilt together your own real estate system. So if you guys want to learn more about Premier Coaching, obviously just go to freecoachingcallsforagents.com or at any time you can always email me as well, tim at timandjulieharris.com. So last call for the broker call that we're doing. If you're interested in learning more uh, and you want to attend this VIP mastermind on what we think to be, frankly, the most cutting-edge brokerage, uh, the idea of even how to build a brokerage model, a brokerage that's going to be last the ages, but mostly this is geared towards agents who are trying to decide how to choose a brokerage or agents who are trying to decide whether they should stay at their current brokerage. And the reason we're doing this is because this has got to be either one, two, or three question that we get the most time on the podcast. 
we're going to record it, and then we're going to make it available on our website so that when anyone asks the question, how do I go about choosing a brokerage? What should I expect from a brokerage? What should my commission splits be for my brokerage? What are the All the millions of things you guys are concerned about, we're going to answer those thoroughly. Um, so you can go about making your own decisions. You know, when's it time to switch a brokerage? What, what are the – all those things. What should my brokerage be offering me as far as support, as far as technology? What, what, how do I go about deciding what brand, if that's an important thing in your market, is going to be the one I should uh, focus on as far as, like, maybe you're competing with – you know, you're in a really high-end market. In a really high-end market – the brand matters. And in most normal meat and potatoes markets across the country, maybe it matters less. So these are all the types of things we're going to help you guys drill down on. And we're going to give you the information in a, our usual a practical and tactical, easy to understand, like this is the answer type format so you can make wise decisions going forward. All right? So if you're interested in attending that, please just email me directly, tim at timandjulieharris.com. You guys have a fantastic day. And as always, we'll talk with you on the show tomorrow. Remember, you guys can go back and listen to any of our past podcasts. They all live at timandjulieharris.com. Thank you. This program has been a presentation by Tim and Julie Harris, Real Estate Coaching. For more information on our real estate coaching and training programs, visit our website at timandjulieharris.com. Remember to tune in weekdays at noon for upcoming shows. And until next time, thank you for listening to Real Estate Coaching Radio with Tim and Julie Harris. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>